At, uh, well, we have another. Isn't technology wonderful <laughs> when it works? There's an outline in the leaflet that gives you some idea where we're heading uh, this morning, so that might be useful for you. The, the part of the Bible we're looking, looking at is the bit that was just read for us. Uh, so we, we are thinking about what it means to be a part of the body of Christ, uh, to be members of his church. So let me, let me pray that, that God will help us work that out. Uh, Father, we do thank you that you are a gracious God who speaks to us. And Father, we pray that as we reflect on discipleship, but more particularly what it means to be a part of a body of believers, uh, that you'll be with us, that you'll help us to understand your word, to work it out in practice so that we glorify your name. And we ask it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Uh, most of us are competitive by nature, at least in some area, uh, whether it be uh, sport or study. I was one of the sporty competitive types, not the study competitive types. I couldn't see any point in studying, but I could see a lot of point in playing sport. You know? And we're all wired differently. I think by human nature, we tend to compare ourselves to one another in different ways, and we measure on all sorts of different criteria, uh, whether it be uh, looks or intelligence or popularity or fashion or... Some other sorts of area. We, we can often just measure ourselves against one another uh, when we connect with other people. We can try and outdo each other. Uh, you know, who's doing the best at work? Who has the biggest house? Who's travelled the most? Or there can be lots of ways in which you, you do those sorts of analyses, one person to another. So I guess the question I want to ask you this morning is how, how do Christians do it? You know, uh, and you might say, oh, no, Christians don't, certainly not in this church we don't, you know, but just humour me for a bit. If we were going to do it, how would it be that we, we make comparisons among the people of God? How, how do we actually measure against one another? Are there ways in which we, uh, we value some people more than others or we allocate priority to certain people because of the gifts or abilities that they have? Are there subtle ways uh, that we distinguish between one another? If you can get your head into that space, then you're well prepared for stepping into 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Because there were Christians in this church uh, that were playing a version of that sort of game, that, that sort of comparison game. Except the question they were asking was the question of, who is the most spiritual person in our church? Or who is the group of people who are the most spiritual sorts of people? The Corinthians were making comparisons, particularly around the sort of gifts that, that people had. And the particular issue that seems to have cropped up for this church was uh, the gift around speaking in tongues. Uh, that is, people speaking in a sort of what's described as an angelic sort of language, a language that uh, most people didn't know, wasn't a human language, uh, but a language that was spoken, that was given by the Holy Spirit and was seen as a badge of considerable honour, a badge of spirituality. So in this church, the grade A Christians were the tongue speakers and the B grade Christians were the non-tongue speakers. Now, I don't particularly want to focus on that gift, but I do want to address the question that comes up squarely in this chapter, that is, how should we think about the gifts we have as the people of God? 
how should we think about them as individuals and how should we think about them as a community of God's people? What do these gifts say to us about our maturity? What do they say to us about our relationship with God? Those sorts of questions. So let's look at it together. I'm going to move through from verse 12, just through the different sections. The first point that I think is made in this section is that we're, as a people of God, we're united into one body by the Holy Spirit. You particularly pick that up in verses 12 and 13. Let me read from verse 13. For we were all baptised by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slaves or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. All Christians, by definition, believe that Jesus is Lord. That's a mark of being a Christian, an indispensable mark. And it's exactly the same point that's made earlier in this chapter. If you go back to verse 3, it's the same sort of idea. Uh, No one who's speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed. Like, obviously, (laughs) the Spirit of God doesn't make you say that. Uh, And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. You might say, sure, any non-Christian can say Jesus is Lord, but understand the point being made here. No one can, as a matter of conviction, say Jesus is Lord, except that the Spirit has stirred their heart. And it's the same point being made when you get to verse 13. You cannot claim to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ unless you have been baptised in the Spirit. Uh, Sometimes there's been a debate in Christian circles about whether baptism in the Spirit is something different uh, to becoming a Christian. You know, become a Christian, sure, that happens by the Holy Spirit, but then you have this sort of second experience of being baptised in the Spirit. Understand that's exactly the opposite of what's being said here. That is, you get baptised by the Spirit and you enter into the family of God. That's the definition of being baptised in the Spirit. Uh, You can't be a Christian unless you've been baptised in the Spirit. Right? So if you didn't realise that, congratulations, you are baptised in the Spirit if you're a believer. Right? That's, that's what we're being told. But notice also that the work of the Holy Spirit brings unity, not division. So in this church, there was division based on this particular gift. But notice, Paul says a mark of the work of the Holy Spirit is not division and comparison and contrast and contradiction, but rather unity, verse 12. Just as the body, though one, has many parts, but all of its parts form one body, so it is with Christ. So it is with Christ. Christians have got diverse gifts, but a measure of spiritual maturity is the way in which we're united by the use of those gifts to honour God and to see his church built up. So here is the measure of spirituality Gifts being used to build. What Paul then does is he explores the practicality of that. And that's, that's what occurs for the rest of chapter 12. To explore the way a mature church, a mature group of Christians, think about the gifts that they've been given. That is, we're all part of one body with different gifts. So how does that work? From verses 14 to 20, Uh, What he outlines here is the danger of uh, inferiority or jealousy based on the sort of gifts you've got. 
Now, the image or the metaphor of the human body is used all through this section. And pick it up in verse 15. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. Now, you're meant to see this as really silly and funny. Right? Notice what's, what we're told. If a foot should say, right? How many, how many of you have talking feet? Right? <laughs> a talking foot, you know? How many of you have conversations with your feet on a regular basis? You know? the, the image is meant to be a silly sort of image at this point. You know, we used to cartoons where animals speak, rabbits and bears and you know, all sorts of different creatures speak. But here we're in the realm of talking feet, feet that are conversationalists, right? But also, the, it's a bizarre scenario that's being painted. Um, we have a foot being jealous of a hand. <laughs> so you've got this foot, this foot going, you know, you hands, you know, you get all the fun, you know, like you're the guys who are always shaking hands with other hands, right? You're the front men, you know, for this body. You know, when you see somebody, you wave, you know. Uh, when you want to make a point, you gesticulate, you know. Preachers would be lost without you, right? Hands, you know, they are the glory people of the body, you know, <laughs> exposed for all to see. We feet, right? We're just taken for granted. <laughs> We're just at the bottom of the... No one ever... Like, how many of you, when I got up here today, said... Oh, look at his feet. You know, look, you don't think that way, do you? We feet, we're just lost at the bottom of the body. We bear all the weight of carrying the whole body around. And we're not even attractive. That's what people always cover us with, with socks and shoes, you know. Where's the hands are always exposed, you know. They're, the, they're the, you know, the outworkings of the body. That's the picture that's being painted here, you know. You hands, you get washed maybe 10 or 12 times a day. Whereas we just criticise we feet for smelling all the time. We'd be okay if we got washed 12 times too, you know? Like, it, you're meant to see this as being such a stupid, stupid comparison. But that's, that's the sort of picture that Paul is painting here. The body needs both. It can't do without both pieces, both parts. It is equally as moronic for anyone who's a believer and part of the body to be jealous because they don't have other gifts or to think that in some way they don't belong because of the nature of the gifts that they possess. Equally silly is the point that Paul is making. All part of the body, all belong all vital. Then when you get to verses 21 to 26, the, the picture is sort of inverted. So what we have is sort of the opposite problem, the danger of feeling more superior or arrogant because of the particular gifts you have. So verse 21, the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. Now, again, it is meant to be humorous, right? How many of us have got talking eyes, you know? Blink, 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 you know? Like, you know, talking eyes. The eye cannot say. And even the head. I mean, the head is the, the thinking bit, 
But can you imagine the head saying to the feet, you know, look, hey feet, you know, I make all the decisions. You know, I run this body, I am king of the body, you know. It just doesn't sort of work that way. I mean, imagine walking across the road and the feet decide to go out on strike in the middle of traffic, you know. And the head's going, hey, come on feet, this is not silly, right? Don't be stupid, get moving, you know. Start running, we're going to get killed. Not until you say sorry, said the feet. You know, like, do you know? It's that sort of picture that's being presented here. If we elevate any gift or person above others, friends, this is the trap that we fall into. Now, it seems like the Corinthians, what they'd done was they'd elevated the tongue speakers into some sort of special category. Uh, because of the nature of that particular gift and its spectacular function, they were regarded as the, the haves. It got me thinking about uh, the sort of gifts that we're likely to as a church or, or as a network of churches elevate above others. Which ones are the ones we're likely to pedestal or pedestal the people that are attached to those gifts? If there's likely to be a danger, what will it be? Uh, I can have a go at myself at this point. That is, I, I think there's a danger that we might elevate vocational people, you know, people who've made choices to leave certain careers and move into you know, ministry careers, like the sort of thing that, say, uh, Colin has done or I've done. You know. Obviously, we've made considerable sacrifices for serving the Lord Jesus, and we are special. You know. Right? You're supposed to be nodding at this point, not laughing. Right? <laughs> so maybe there's a danger, or maybe if I just broaden that out a little bit more, maybe for our particular sort of church, it's actually the gift of Bible teaching that maybe we tend to prioritise. But by doing that, prioritise the people who have those gifts and exercise them in different contexts, whether it be preachers or... Uh, those who lead Bible study groups or uh, teach kids or youth or whatever it is, um, the, the Bible teaching gift is important, and we get to that later on in the chapter. But the reality is the people who exercise those gifts are not more special. See, they're not distinguished in any way. They're not valued in any way differently from any other member of the body of Christ. Bible teachers, not more impressive, do not have more status. The Bible actually says you honour your leaders, uh, but that's about giving them respect, not about treating them as particularly special. But you certainly don't envy or idolise them. So let me, that's essentially the, the dominant part of the chapter. What I'd like to do for a few minutes is just to explore what it means for us to think in a mature way about how we exercise gifts among the body of God's people. So I'm up to point three in the outline if you're following along. Uh, gifts and the church. How should we as members think about our gifts and think about belonging? The first thing to remember, I think, is that God is sovereign when it comes to the giving of gifts. Right? God is sovereign and gift 
implies that as well. I want you to think that tomorrow morning um, you go to the letterbox, you pull out a letter and you open it up and you discover inside there is a letter from a lawyer uh, from a firm you don't know and the, he has written to you saying that you have uh, a great distant uncle who died, single person, who has left you $10 million. Right? And you're surprised because you didn't even know this person existed. Right? But there it is, a cheque for $10 bucks in the post made out to you from this person you didn't know lived, you'd never sent a birthday card to, no relative had ever mentioned this person to you, but suddenly here it is, this cheque. Right? Now at this point, right, you're not going to think, clever me. Right? Clever me for being related to this person I didn't know existed. Right? You would just think, what a great gift, you know, 10 million bucks, what will I do with this? It, the same sort of idea when it comes to gifts in the body. There, there is no point in thinking you're clever or not clever when it comes to your gifts, because you didn't do anything to get them anyway. They were given to you by God, who was the sovereign one. Verse 18. In fact, God has placed the parts in the body every one of them, as he wanted them to be. So if you feel inferior, jealous, and wish you had other gifts, then it's because you don't think God has any idea that he knows what he's doing. Because he is the one who is the master of all. If you feel good about the gifts that you have, then it may be you don't believe in the sovereignty of God as well the one who gave those gifts to you. And you think he gave them to you for your own self-esteem? No. Verse 11, God distributes the gifts. Verse 24, God puts the body together. Verse 28, God places the gifts or people in the church. Remember God's sovereign. Remember also, and this, this naturally connects Remember that uh, we're talking about a community over an individual. Right? We're talking about a, a body, not a limb. We live in an incredibly um, individualistic and self-focused sort of world. Now, maybe it's always been the case. I guess that's the nature of sin. Uh, but I take it that when we come to think about God's people or the church, what we're talking about is a, a community and the fact that God has placed us in a community, and therefore the focus is on belonging and serving, not about me. Back in verse 7 of the chapter, we're told there, to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The common good. It's the same idea in verse 12. You pick it up also in verses 25 to 26. And it's exactly the same when you get to verse 27. For Paul there says, now you, and there he's using the plural you, you guys, right? Now you guys are the body of Christ and each one of you is part of it. There's a sense of being um, closely bound to each other for all sorts of different reasons. Um, for example, let's say I, uh, you know, I'm out doing some handiwork, right, which is a fatal thing for me to do generally, right, and I get a hammer and I'm trying to hammer in an hour, right, and so I get the hammer back and I go, right, and hit my thumb, right, with this hammer, splat, 
I won't at that point go, oh, look, the thumb got hurt. <laughs> That's not the way it works. Thumb hurts, I hurt, right? It's a, it's a whole body thing. It's the same sort of idea when it comes to the gifts and the way in which they function. Gifts are not given so that I feel good about myself. Uh, they're all tightly tied together for the building up of God's people, for the body that we belong to. What that means is that the test of, the test of Christian maturity is not the gift or the gifts you have, but whether you use them to serve. Right? Whether you use them to serve. It's, it's really hard to go for a walk if the feet stay home. Um, it, I find it so hard to read the paper if, I, if my eyes don't open. You know, It's just the way in which it works. It, it's ridiculous that that could be the case. But no more ridiculous than a church where the members who are part of the body decide that they'll sit back and watch. You mean? It's just... The body doesn't work if that's the way in which it functions. You can't do it. Verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And at this point, we get into science fiction world. You know? No longer am I you know, unimpressive though I am, but a body with limbs and things like that. I become a grotesque eye. You know? Blink. You know, that, if the whole body were an eye, that would be pretty ugly apart from anything else. Mature believers, they do not care what gifts they have. <laughs> it doesn't matter how you're wired or how you're entrusted with gifts because our focus is on honouring God by serving and building up other people. That's the mature focus. And then Paul goes on and talks about how it is we should honour Everybody, verses 22 and 23. Those parts of the body that seem weaker are indispensable. Some people in the church, just by their very nature, are more upfront, or they hold leadership roles, or they have larger personalities. Right? We meet together. Um, there are people playing in a band who lead us up the front. We can see them. Colin gets up right, and does a kid's talk and introductions. I get up and preach. We have a Bible reader. Paul does a stellar talk on graphs and finances. You know, like There are some of us who do those sort of things by nature when we get together. And some of us are totally invisible at one level but not indispensable, or to be less on it. Uh, Soon I've just spent a few weeks out at Trinity Northeast, and last uh, Sunday they had a lunch straight after church. Now, there were some people who were making the announcements and getting it all organised and playing, you know, organising the games for the kids and doing that sort of stuff. And we were around basically till the end. And I tell you, I was really thankful for the people who stayed afterwards and cleaned up. But they did it once most people had gone. But if we hadn't done that task, let me say we wouldn't have been using the hall next week because the school would have just kicked us out. You know. See, every person has their function and their task, and that's the way 
it's meant to be. Often I think it's the, the backroom people who are overlooked and we never look for acknowledgement for what we do, but we just need to keep remembering, keep remembering to honour all God's people as we gather together. So, what about us? How does it work as we meet together? One of the questions I think that gets raised in this chapter is whether some gifts are more spiritual than others. When you read through 1 Corinthians 12, you seem to hear this sort of bell about spiritual gifts. And so some people tend to think, okay, there must be sort of spiritual gifts and natural gifts. You know, the sort of uh, uh, natural talents that I have and gifts that I only have because the Spirit gives them to me. So the spiritual gifts are things like, you know, speaking in tongues or prophecy or miracles or that sort of thing. Then the natural gifts are probably more like verse 28 here, you know, helping others, the gift of helps or administration or teaching. Can I say, I don't think that's actually a distinction made here in this chapter. Uh, I understand why people have done it, but it seems to me that the clear message in this chapter is the test of spiritual Maturity, that is the test of spirituality, which is really what's being spoken of here, is whether you use the gifts you have for building up the body. And if you do that, then you're a spiritual person. And if you don't, then you're not. That is, you're not being spiritual about the way you do it. Let me try and give you an example. Um, let's say we have two people, one's a Christian, one's not a Christian. right? But they are both excellent Penis, right? Both excellent penis. They both have a gift from God, I take it. That is, you can't play the piano unless God gave you the, the ability to be able to play the piano. Now, you might have to work on it, but it's, you know, I cannot play the piano. It wouldn't matter how many lessons. I couldn't play the piano, right? But some people can. Robin can. She does a great job, right? Non-Christian, Christian, both play the piano. Which one's spiritual? Well, possibly neither. But actually, if the Christian uses their gift of piano playing to build up the body of Christ, they're exercising that gift in a spiritual manner, in a way in which the non-Christian can never do. To understand, it's actually not possible. Both are gifted, but the measure of the spirituality is the way in which the gift is used for serving and building. And I take it it's the same with almost every gift, that is, who are the spiritual crash helpers? Well, the ones who are looking to build up the kids that they serve. They are the spiritual ones. Or when it comes to serving coffee, or when it comes to leading Bible studies, or, see, the measure of spirituality is the way in which you use the opportunity and the gift entrusted to you to do that. Do you understand? The focus here is not on gifts. It's on serving. And understand the way in which that then works it out. Like if I said to you, how many people here, just, just put up your hand, right, if you have the gift of chair stacking, right? Who's got the gift of chair stacking, right? See, I, I don't know that I'd ever count myself as a gifted chair stacker, to be quite honest. But it is something I can do. And I guess maybe 90% of us can do that. And that's the nature of being part of a, of a body. Who has the gift of being friendly to newcomers? Well, I don't know. Gift? I guess we can all do it. And that's the nature 
of being part of the body of Christ. How do we serve? I want to finish just by looking at uh, verse 31 here in 1 Corinthians 12. And the reason I do it is because on its face value, it feels like it contradicts what comes before. Did you feel that way when you got to the end? I get the message, I get the message, you get the message. Verse 31, what's that doing there? Because verse 31 says, eagerly desire the greater gifts. Eagerly desire the greater gifts. Now remember, at this point we're being told all parts of the body are important, all gifts are crucial, no one should think themselves more special or important because of the gifts they have. Eagerly desire the greater gifts. So is that suggesting some sort of hierarchy? In fact, the focus here is not on individuals with gifts. It is on the body. What we are to desire is that God entrusts this body of believers with the gifts it needs to keep growing, to keep functioning in a healthy sort of way, to build up the body. And the context when you get to these last verses is that there are some gifts, that is, I think they are word of God gifts or ministries that are critical for the building up of the body. You see there are apostles, prophets, teachers. So does that mean I should pray for the gift of teaching as an individual? I take it what we're being told here is that we should pray that God provides his people with those who can teach the Bible. It doesn't matter who's got it or who does it, but we do need God to do that. Uh, preaching, children's ministry, small groups, youth, even one-to-one sort of context. Friends, God, he has given you and me as a gift for the life of this church. And what we all need to be thinking about is how we can serve, serve God's people, every single one of us, as he has called us and gifted us to do. That is the call of God upon our lives. Let me pray for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you're a God who uh, graciously calls us into your family. Uh, by the work of your spirit to help us believe. Uh, Father, we thank you that you're a God who has placed us in a body which is multi-gifted and talented and resourced. And Father, we ask that in your kindness you'll keep helping us to work out how it is we serve, how we build up one another, how we think in terms of the body you've placed us in, not ourselves as individuals. Father, we pray you'll preserve us from the sin of measuring against one another or elevating inappropriately those who have certain gifts. Father, we pray that our focus will be on your glory and honour constantly and the building of your people so that we all grow to maturity together. Father, we thank you that in your grace you both call us and gift us for serving. And please give us the strength to do that and to do that with grace with one another. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.